in a time when the telegraph was the fastest means of communicating long distance, a young man applied for a job as a Morse code operator. He arrived at the interview site and entered a large room filled with noise and the clacking of a telegraph and seven other applicants who were already there before him. There was also a sign that instructed all of them to fill out a form and that they would then be summoned into the interview room. And so he filled out his form. He sat down with the other seven. But he hadn't been there long before he got up, walked the length of the room, and walked into the interview room. And the other seven applicants looked at each other perplexed and a bit angered that he would try to jump the line ahead of them. And they expected that he'd be given the boot right back out and sure enough just a few moments later the door opened and here came a manager out with him but the manager informed the other seven he thanked them for coming but he told them the job had been filled by this young man well they were furious how did he get the job when they didn't even get an interview the manager went on to explain as long as you have been sitting here a message has been typed on the telegraph in Morse code saying, if you understand this message, come through this door, the job is yours. <laughs> they didn't hear the message. They didn't understand the message, but this young man did, and so the job was his. Our current sermon series calls us to hear Jesus' words above all of the other noise of life, to allow them to penetrate us in a way that they will make a difference in our lives. But conversely, if we don't do the work of really listening, we will be like these other seven applicants. We'll hear something but it won't mean much to us. And so it will have little impact upon our lives. With this in mind, we want to have ears to hear this morning. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles or in the Pew Bible in front of you to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And let's hear God's Word this day. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. 
And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, once again we have come to sit at your feet, to learn from you, to be guided by you with words that will give us life, that will lead us in life. And so, Lord, once again, we pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear that you would also give us eyes to see, and that you would give us hearts that would be respect, receptive to the words that you desire to place within us. So please, through your Holy Spirit, lead us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the setting for today's passage is a surprising one. Jesus is having dinner in the home of a Pharisee. Chapters 5 and 6 of Luke describe five previous encounters that Jesus and the Pharisees had. The Pharisees were confrontational in every one of them. And the last one in chapter 6, we read these words at the end. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so we don't know if Simon's invitation came out of a genuine curiosity or a desire to push and to poke and to prod Jesus. Whatever the reason, Jesus' acceptance reminds us that none are outside of his desire to love and to save. The first thing we find at this dinner party is a very awkward moment. Now, I hate to do this, but imagine fingernails on a chalkboard. That's how Jesus' host would have felt in this moment. Because Jesus was so well known, there was likely public access at the edge of the room for people to come and to sit and to listen. But even so, the arrival of this woman known as a sinner surely had to be jarring to the holiness and the purity of this Pharisee. And then, in the moments that followed, everything this woman did would have gone against the social appropriateness in that day. To begin with, she left 
the sidelines where the other onlookers were, and she ran onto the field of play interacting with one of the dinner guests. You just didn't do that. Women weren't supposed to approach men in public the way this woman approached Jesus. And no decent woman would ever let down her hair in public as this woman did to wipe Jesus' feet. Jesus' host was obviously disgusted by this woman. And he refers to her only as sinner. The summer after I graduated from college, I worked on our school landscaping crew. And for a couple weeks, I assisted a carpenter as he was renovating one of the executive offices. We were on the same floor as the president's office, and what I remember most about those two weeks was my interaction with the secretary for the college president, or I should say my lack of interaction. Every time I would walk by her office, she would look up and then look down again. There was no smile. There was no greeting. It was obvious that in my t-shirt and in my jeans, I didn't belong there. And I was just a temporary intrusion that she had to put up with until our job was done. Well, after about a week, I'd had enough. And so one day I walked into her office and I told her I wanted to see the president. I went on to say I wanted to talk to him about my senior honors project that he and I had interacted with during the previous year. And the only reason I remember any of that is because of the look on her face in that moment. She didn't know what to do with me. That moment didn't fit the image that she had put on me on all of those previous days. And I have to confess, I loved every second of it. <laughs> One of my former seminary professors, Lewis Smeeds, once wrote, we put our labels on people the way designers sew labels on their clothes. And then we let the labels tell us what people are and what they are worth. Labels are a convenient way to quickly size up others, and they influence our interaction with them. I wonder how often we put mental labels on people without even realizing that's what we are doing. Someone who looks different than us, or who acts different than us may get the label not like me and that may be enough to create distance between us and them the problem with labels is that they limit our ability to see people as they truly are and to leave room for God's redemptive work in their lives Simon's label for this woman was sinner and that didn't allow him to see anything more than that about her. Now, when we look more closely at this label, we see an underlying assumption to it. That he was not a sinner. And so this prompted a teaching moment 
from Jesus. And as he did so often, he used a parable. In this parable, a debt was owed by two individuals. It's been estimated that the larger debt perhaps represented 20 months worth of wages, and the smaller debt about two months. Our son, Matthew, graduated from college last month with no small amount of college debt. It's a ritual that plays out all across this country every year among college students. Debt can cloud our future. It can limit options in the present. And that would have been the reality for these two in this parable. But wait! We then learn that this debt was forgiven. Now don't miss the extraordinary nature of this act. Canceling debts was the last thing money lenders tended to do. Otherwise, they would soon go out of business. This was a tremendous act of grace and mercy. And the greatest impact would have been upon the person who owed the most. And then in this parable, the expectation of response. A response of love and gratitude. Again, presumably the greatest by the one most in debt. Now to this point, Simon would have naturally assumed that Jesus' words were about this woman. And they were. But to his embarrassment, he discovered in front of all of his guests that Jesus was also talking about him. Jesus had a hard word for Simon. And it was prompted by his desire to move him to a better place. In those days, Pharisees pursued a life of purity. They sought to avoid God, offending God in any way. Their goal was to leave little for God to have to forgive. But that left little response also of gratitude and of love. Jesus saw how this was preventing Simon from the same joyful response to God demonstrated by this woman. And so he gently offered this parable filled with the gospel message. A debt was owed. Our sin separates us from God. And we will never have enough goodness to attain relationship with Him. But wait, God has canceled our debt by forgiving our sins on the cross. And when we understand the extraordinary lengths that God has gone to for us, we cannot help but respond with love and gratitude. This woman was exhibit A for what this looks like. But Simon, on the other hand, had a small understanding and a small appreciation for God's forgiveness. Jesus notes that that even came out in how he was treated as a guest. And so Jesus' words were an invitation to change. This was a defining moment for Simon. 
Would he have ears to hear? Would Jesus' hard, loving words of correction manage to pierce Simon's heart in such a way that it would change his life? Well, Luke ends the story without us knowing. And that's okay. Because the most important question for us this morning is, will we have ears to hear God's hard, corrective words in our life? Will we be open to them when they occur? Will we act upon them? Will we learn from them? Now let's be honest, we don't always respond well to correction, do we? Our initial instinct is usually to become defensive. Or if we're particularly bold, maybe to mount a counterattack towards the person who is seeking to correct us. I wonder how many of us prefer to avoid the truth of the bathroom scale. Well, you know, we have a similar aversion when it comes to correction. In my first year of ordained ministry in Florida, I remember one Monday morning receiving a note from someone in our church that was taking me to task for something I had done the day before. And it ticked me off. I was steamed all morning until I realized there was some truth in what this person was saying. An apology was given and a lesson learned that I have never forgotten. Similarly, we need God's correction so that we can move to a better place in life and in relationship with Him. Jesus promises, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And God's desire for us and our desire for ourselves is movement towards that full life. But inevitably, there are moments when we drift off course. And not only can we often fail to realize we have drifted, we can become comfortable with that drift. For you see, we are not unlike Simon in putting our own spiritual labels upon ourselves. Labels like good enough, doing fine, better than the next person. And in His great love, God longs to show us what we are not seeing about ourselves, to move us back onto this path of full life. And so he may nudge us with the Spirit's gentle whisper or use words from a friend or even use an abrupt moment in life as he did with Simon. And this process will play out again and again throughout our lifetime. What if we are unresponsive in this moment? It's just too inconvenient for us. Or we'd rather do things our way. Well, in that case, we will just gradually drift further and further from what God wants to offer to us. 
And the longer we are unresponsive, the harder it will be for us to turn. And so this morning, I want to encourage each of us to do two things. Now I'll warn you, the first is a bold step. Are you ready? Would we invite God's correction in our lives? Let me say that again. Would we invite God's correction in our lives? To ask Him to redirect us in all the ways where that is needed. Now I know what you're thinking. That's the last thing I want to do. Why would I do that? Well, you see, we are constantly in need of correction. In case you haven't noticed, we have a tendency to make poor choices now and again. Or maybe it's just me. And in those moments, correction is less painful when we are open to it than if God has to get our attention. David models beautifully this openness at the end of Psalm 139 when he writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Would we be bold enough to ask God to do the same in our lives? And then my second encouragement for us. Would we seek to have ears to hear God's corrective words over the course of our lives? To remain close enough to Him that we can hear and that we can be responsive to whatever He desires to say to us. I like the way David ends this psalm. In his last phrase, he says to God, And lead me in the, in the way everlasting. That's another great invitation for us to give to God, isn't it? To lead us in the way everlasting. But here's the thing. We can only be led to the degree that we are listening to the one we follow. Think about that. This unnamed woman was a beautiful example of one who was receptive to God's correction. At some point before today's story, she had had ears to hear Jesus in a way that changed her heart and was beginning to change her life. And her joyful response of love and gratitude was a visible demonstration of this transformation that was taking place. I think this morning of another such story. A man who was on his own path in life until he heard and responded to God's correction. And then he began his own joyful and grateful new course. This man's name was John Newton. And he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace that we will sing in just a few moments. And when he wrote this hymn, in the opening words he described himself as a wretch. 
And we will do the same for ourselves when we sing these words. This is a jarring word. It means a despicable, contemptible person. It's an honest word, acknowledging that we are not good enough, that we are not better than, but we are constantly in need of God's grace. And it's a word that we do not get to on our own. It comes when we hear and are receptive to God's hard truths about us. Only when we understand ourselves in this way can we appreciate the depths of God's love and forgiveness. And this understanding fuels our own joyful response of love and gratitude to God when we sing this song and when we live our lives. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. And there are moments along the way of our lives when he does the same with us. David, I have something to tell you. Susan, I have something to tell you. Bill, Joyce, Carol, every name of us who are worshiping together, I have something to tell you. And when those moments come, may we respond with the same words used by Simon. May we too say to our Lord, tell me. And then may we have ears to hear. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, thank you that you love us so much. You are not willing to leave us where we so often want to stay and want to be. Thank you for having a bigger picture in mind of, of who you know we can become, of the life that you know that we can live. Lord God, you also know how unreceptive we can be to correction. And yet we pray, we invite that you would continue to bring it into our lives. And Lord, when you so lovingly do, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us the ability to listen? Would you help us understand that this comes only out of your love for us? And will you move us to a better place than perhaps we are willing to settle for? This we pray in your Son's name, amen.